Afraid of nothing, you say? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Truefire. Do you want to learn guitar or improve your playing? Are you stuck in a rut and unable to take your playing to the next level? Truefire has your solution. guitar players worldwide learn, practice, and play with TrueFire. Our learning tools and massive library of video lessons will ignite your technical skills, harmonic knowledge, rhythm playing, and soloing chops. TrueFire's educators are the best in the biz, from Grammy Award winners to world-renowned artists. You'll have access to an unparalleled faculty of over 300 top-notch blues, rock, jazz, country, fingerstyle, and acoustic guitar educators. Using our desktop and mobile apps, you'll work with TrueFire's multi-angle video lessons on any device, anytime, anywhere. Integrated learning tools such as video synced tab and notation, slow-mo, looping, practice jam tracks, and many more handy controls accelerate your learning experience. TrueFire style-specific learning paths guide you every step of the way. Use our assessment tools to find your starting point, then follow our lesson recommendations, and track your progress as you work through your personalized TrueFire study plan. Progress faster with private one-on-one instruction, group lessons, multi-track video jams, live streams, song lessons, student forums, TrueFire's Riff magazine, premium jam tracks, and much, much more. With thousands of five-star ratings and reviews from amateur and pro players alike, you'll find yourself in good company with the world's most comprehensive guitar learning platform. Grab your guitar and ignite your musicality. Sign up free for an all-access trial today. Click the link in the description to find out more. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. As always, technical glitches again with the beginning of the program. You would think after all these years I would have this crap down, but I don't. Anyway, welcome to the program. It's great to have you here. We're going to be talking about paranormal stuff tonight. I'm like um, Michael Corleone. Every time I get out, they pull me back in. Um, it's just interesting to me. You know, I, I talk about all the time how I've been through the mill for 40 years on, on all the paranormal stuff, investigated it upside down, inside out, and have no, no closer to any answers or any, um, real solid conclusions about any of this stuff. I approach everything as a skeptic and, um, and really gone through a lot of different periods where I was really hungry for answers and wanted to know more and then was a on the side of being a hardcore believer then a hardcore doubter uh and everywhere in between with the stuff and I have seen 
lots of different stories. I've seen and heard lots of different stories from a lot of different directions with regard to the paranormal, from ghosts to Bigfoot to UFOs to uh, Mothmen, Dogmen, um, Chukacabra, you name it. And still don't uh, have any clue on what's really going on. And it's kind of resolved to just kind of live my life on a very earthly <laughs> plane with a very um, non-paranormal existence. But from time to time, uh, we do get, and I still get lots of requests for things that are um, not not exactly normal, paranormal. You never see hear about para-abnormal. <laughs> but uh tonight my guest is uh I I'm somebody who is exploring this world. Um and I'm not sure how long he's been in it. I, I'm under the belief or the uh perception that it hasn't been that long that thing, things in his life have uh facilitated a change in direction and kind of exploring this stuff, but we'll find out from him directly in just one moment. Bob Heskey is a filmmaker, screenwriter, graphic novelist, and now podcaster. He started the Afraid of Nothing podcast, which is a continuation of his award-winning documentary of the same name. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Bob Heskey to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Bob, welcome. <laughs> wow, what a great introduction. Thanks. It sounds like I have my work cut out for me tonight. Get to get you right back on the paranormal path, huh? No, no, no. I Please don't get me back on the paranormal path. I'm I'm interested in hearing what, <laughs> what you have to say and your opinions and, and ideas about it, uh, but um, I don't want to live that life anymore. I, you know, I had a guy on who was a uh, UFO uh, researcher for 30 years and I and he just came out with a book and I said what are your plans now he said I just want to close this chapter in my life it, it's, it, it becomes life consuming after a while and so yeah. I, I understood completely where he came from with that so no I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to come back into it I am interested in it and want to expose the ideas to people who might want to uh, travel that road with you now so put it that way <laughs> yeah well I will say it's kind of it's too bad his timing's bad to close the book on ufos because now they're uaps and there was a government report that came out in june and it's getting some credence people are adding credibility because now the military spotted things like that you can't explain right. so right that, that, that book's back open again right yeah well for him he feels like well he uh, uaps were in it and all that stuff this guy w w worked within the government and was a researcher for the government in the program and all that stuff so uh, uh i could see how that would burn you out though i mean because like i said you search and search for answers. You go down these roads, and you, the more you do it, the more questions you have. And it just seems like you never get any closer to absolute truth in any of this stuff. And I, for me, at least, I ended up as confused after 35 years of investigating it as when I started. So <laughs> that's, yeah. that, that's frustrating. Yeah, you know, as a podcaster, it's kind of the same thing. I was on a when I started my podcast early on, I was on a guy named Jim Harold. He's got like fifty million downloads. He's known for the Paranormal Podcast and Campfire Tales. And he said the same thing. I mean, the more he learns, the more he doesn't really have answers because there's so much out there. And it's like, you know, the paranormal gets much bigger than he ever thought it was. And there's so many directions you could go. And how do you connect it all together? That's the real mystery, right? Right. I want to start with the name. Afraid of nothing can mean two things it can mean you're very courageous and brave you're not afraid of anything or it can mean that you have irrational fears you're afraid of nothing <laughs> so yeah. it, it has a dual meaning was that intentional in, in choosing the name yeah in that way 
Yeah. yeah so uh, the, the name is kind of a, a double entendre, afraid of nothing. Really, what it started was that half the people in the world think that there's nothing when you die, you know, right. and the other right. half thinks that you go on. So there's nothing to be afraid of. Right. So that was the nothing thing. And when it comes to death, I mean, in the afterlife, nothingness is what people are all afraid of losing consciousness. So that was the play on it. And gotcha. yeah. And what kind of inspired it was how I, I made the documentary. And when I did it was probably like it was I think it was 2000 and maybe 16 or 17 and it it, it came out in, the, in 2019 my mother was the first person to pass in my family when the first person goes in your family matt you kind of i your window to mortality opens up a little bit you know and uh my mom had dementia and so it was kind of double weird where she didn't know me at the end and i i had i was dealing with something like you know is this kind of meaning of life thing if your own mom doesn't recognize you at the end is is anything worth anything right and so I had a daughter who's autistic. I was married, I divorced now. And I had a daughter who's autistic. And there was some kind of interesting paranormal stuff with her early on. And you kind of get that with autistic children sometimes. And my ex-wife was kind of a self-proclaimed psychic a little bit. So I was surrounded by a lot of people that had paranormal ability, but I was kind of tunnel vision. And so I decided to do a documentary where I went and talked to people that had a different, like a third eye that I didn't to kind of take in what they saw and to see if it could help me open my mind a little bit. Okay. So how long have, have you been on this path that you're on now? Uh, I, I made, I made the documentary about uh, maybe four or five years ago. Um, that was my second feature film. I made a small indie uh, drama before that, a couple of years before that. And I, I really wasn't going to make another film to be honest, because it was so hard. I mean, I spent a lot of my retirement <laughs> savings a lot of drama that goes on a set, right? I mean, the, the film came out good, but distribution, I got screwed over. So it was a tough thing. And I, I was just recovering from all that because when you start making a movie, when it's an indie film, it can take two to five years by the time you get it filmed through post-production and, and on the festival circuit. And it did pretty well. And then get distribution, you know, then you wait for money to come in that never comes. So I, I was not going to do that. But then my mother's situation had me thinking and questioning things. And uh, my ex-wife had a, a gentleman that was a, uh, a shaman, believe it or not. She worked at a sports massage place, and he would come in, big, burly guy. And he initially was working on uh, autistic children. He felt like they were, you know, humans 3.0 because they vibrate at a higher level. And a, a lot of people actually think that. And so he came and kind of met my daughter. And when I met him, I thought, man, he, he looked like a biker. And he had actually been in the music industry for the first half of his life, selling merchandise and stuff at all the big concerts. And he sold his business. He had a reawakening in midlife. And first, I was going to do a documentary just on him, but I decided to expand it, you know. And and I had contacts from my first movie in Salem, Massachusetts, and I expanded I expanded it to a lot of other things as well. Well, Salem, Massachusetts, is full of uh, all sorts of paranormal lore and and stuff like that, going back five hundred years now. Yeah, uh, definitely. Uh, just to comment a couple of things on what you said. Now, I think you're right. I think. Uh, generally a significant loss, not necessarily the first loss in your family, but a significant loss, somebody who means a lot to you and it, it affects you in a strong way will send you looking for answers. And I think that's very common. Uh, and that's, it can be a dangerous thing. I will, I'll put this out there just as know a lot of people who were married 30 years uh and uh, back in the day when i first started in this i i witnessed a lot of people married 30 years one spouse dies and the other spouse starts going to tarot card readers and all sorts of psychics trying to make connections and f ends up all kind of 
putting salt in the wound and not really finding those answers, but continues and can drive themselves a little bit batty doing that. So uh, I'm not saying that you shouldn't open that door. I'm saying be careful when you open that door and do it with um, some discretion and some some thought behind it. Don't go to the $25 a tarot card reader down the block who has a sign out in front of the house, (laughs) that kind of stuff. Um, The autistic stuff, I'm on the autistic spectrum. And uh, so it's easy to... When you say, you know, the human 3.0, it's easy to say, well, uh, to for me, as somebody on that spectrum, to gravitate towards that because I, I want it. Now, uh, the question of want comes into it. Uh, how much of your beliefs and what's driving you is is driven by want to be able to know that your mom is still out there still uh, and at peace, but still out there. Her energy is still somewhere in the universe. How much of what you're doing is driven by one. And, and, and is that coloring your perception at all? Um, yeah, it wasn't even just connecting with my mom. It was like kind of the cold clinicalness of the, of her death, right? She had Alzheimer's, which is a very long, cold goodbye, painful, uh, because all the personalities they go through when you're taking care of them and they can't even go to the bathroom at the end and they don't recognize you. And they, you know, when the first time she looked at me at like, rather than her son that would light up the room, it's just this big lug showing up at the hospital. I mean, it kind of changes you a little bit. It shakes you a little bit. So I think beyond even connecting with my mom, I was kind of wanting to know about what's out there. So when I did the documentary, I did talk to a lot of spiritual and paranormal people, but I have had a little bit of science in too. And I found some interesting crossover. Oh, yeah, I agree. There's plenty of, uh, you know, and people think because, and I said this many times, because people think uh, in terms of science and religion are far apart, they also uh, think that science and the um, study of energy and consciousness and all the kind of stuff that go into our beliefs about the afterlife are far apart. And they're not. They're very close. Science is very close to um spiritual belief in a, they call late and label things differently perhaps but when we talk about uh what's out there science is very much uh aligned with pseudoscience and meta-science on, on a lot of those things so i, I agree uh the you know, will find a lot of scientific belief about that uh you are you were raised what uh religious wise faith wise i was you? raised uh catholic you know went to church a lot when i was young uh um didn't really practice it much once I was, you know, you get to your middle age, you go to college. It's, you don't really do that as much. And, uh, toward this point in my life, I do, I do start my day with a positive gratitude thing. And I do, you know, talk to God and, and try to do that, but I don't really go to church. So I think I'm probably, a lot of people say they're more spiritual. I guess I'm more spiritual, but I do have some faith, but I just don't go to church a lot at this point in my life. Yeah, no, uh, I, well, I was raised Catholic too. Uh, I'm never going to go to a Catholic church again in my life, but <laughs> that's not, that's not in the cards for me, but this idea now I want to, I want to, you say you pray to God. Here we are where we talk about God and you earlier, you said there's half and I, I disagree with that. I think it's an oversimplification. Half the people think there's something out there and half the people think there's nothing out there. There are lots of shades in between. Uh, and you know, I find that out pretty, there are people, you know, reincarnation, uh, is somewhere in the middle of all that. But there are people, in, you know, in the science field, which are, who are, you know, how do we define God? You know, the conversation, Carl Sagan said, we can't really say um, the question, do you believe in God and is there something out there? We can't have that conversation because we have too much of a, God is too simple a word to describe what 
so many people think about whatever whatever that entity might be, whatever that energy might be. So there's Einsteinian God, there's the Catholic Church's God, there's the, uh, you know, Islam God, there's Buddha God, all, there's all these kind of things and different connotations of what God means. And of course, uh, somebody like me who uh, looks at the religious myth and the way they the way religion frames it as an old man, you know, bearded man on a throne in the clouds waiting for me to, and he's uh, constantly in judgment of me, but also it's so insecure that he needs me to uh, praise him all the time. That's, that's a difficult uh, belief in God. So I'm just clumsily taking a long way to ask you when you say God and, and, and you pray to God and all this, what, what do you think of the, what do you think that is? <laughs> you know, I, I I don't think it's the man that you 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 were right. You mean that you kind of you know he's got the white beard and he's your father and <laughs> very stern and high expectations of yourselves. A lot of my guests have gone through that kind of transformation too. I think a lot of people they mention God. It's almost like they look for a word for whatever the creation is. You can go one or two ways. Did the world begin? Did all this weird stuff happen and sheer dumb luck? Consciousness came you know out of nowhere, or was there some science to it? Because if you look at you know. I mean, even science starts with the Big Bang, which is a whole suspension of belief that what happened before the Big Bang, right? Right, I mean, right. So it's crazy. It's like a bad hypothesis in the first place. So I think, you know, my my assumption of God is when I put positive thoughts out there and ask for things, they do happen. They do realize. So I think there is some type of life force or spiritual energy out there that if you kind of connect with it, it will give you get you more along the path that you want to be. I don't know if it's personal or if it has a personality, but I do think, you know, and a lot of the people I talk to believe that in the afterlife, once you, you know, if you believe in that um, and you're in the afterlife, like here we're in the air, right? We're in the air, we're in, it's very material, it's very heavy, you know, it depends how comfortable you are in your body and moving around. You know, but in the afterlife, when you talk to people, it's a whole different, it's consciousness and there's love and there's a, it's a different type of energy. So I, I guess I just kind of believe in God as a greater thing than in this one physical world that we're in. And I also kind of think of this world that we're in is just very like one wavelength, you know, one wave. I mean, it's almost like I see you, you see me. It's almost like on a desktop on your computer, you see all these icons because, you know, the colors come in, you know, the light comes into your head, your rods and cones kind of assimilate it and tell you what symbol it is. And, you know, that's what you you ascribe to it. So I I, I think that there's something much broader and, and a, a wider spectrum than what we see. And I think kind of the sense behind it all, whether it's the DNA or a code or whatever, is God. So to me, that's what it is. So, but it, you're right; it's not the man with the you know that that Moses talks to on the hill and then the seas part. It's something just broader and more omnipresent than that. Yeah, uh, I, I have problems with anybody telling me I'm right about anything. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh oh. I'm 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 not right. Um <laughs> I, I actually have a question for you if you don't mind. Um, sure. <laughs> when did you find out that you were on the uh, autism scale? Uh I actually a doctor told me that in um a long time ago. It, it was even before it became like um they started talking about, you know, uh, autism in terms of scale. Yeah. Uh it went back to the 1980s. It was a personal uh wow, my, really? my personal physician, yeah, who actually started uh saying, you know what, you you uh, and physically, physically I, I I have a lot of traits uh that you would think if you didn't know me and you know, I had speech problems all all my life and it was an odd thing. It was like the savant thing when I was young. Uh I would in first and second grade 
ace every uh, test that they gave me. I would, um, you know, intelligent tests, score like off the charts on them, couldn't talk, was very shy, but also not, couldn't communicate well. And, uh. they, you know, they used the word retard then uh, yep. a lot. And so I was, they, is he retarded or is he a genius? What is the, what's the case with this kid? Uh, yeah. So there, yeah. there was a lot of that going on. So by the time I was in my uh, 20s and 30s, uh, my doctor started saying, you know what? I think you might have a degree of also. He didn't even say on the on the scale. He said you might have a degree of autism, uh, and you might be, you know, what we call at the time he was saying the word savant. Oh. Uh, so, whatever. I I don't necessarily uh, know what what it, what the degrees and the scale really look like. I don't think anybody does. That's that's yeah. another part of. Uh, um, so yeah, I was going to tell you, if you don't mind real quickly, why I was sure. asking was uh, one of the more recent guests was a guy named William Stillman, who's a who's a psychic visionary, but he was also called the autism whisperer. He was a kid, very painful youth. He would have he would see things. He went to the church when he was young and he actually looked at Christ on the crucifix and he almost like felt the pain. He caused this big scene and his family had to get him. This is like he was born in the 60s. His family had to get him out of church. The priest said, hey, don't kind of come back here anymore with him. All right. And he went through, you know, sensitive kid back then, undiagnosed. He went through a lot of hell uh, when he was 11 years old to his early, you know, to his late teens. He went to the dark side. And then later in life, he kind of rediscovered and went a different trait. He discovered he had Asperger's and he became a he wrote like 10 books on autism. And when my co-host and I were interviewing him, we both thought we had autistic traits. My co-host is an actor. He's more a physical, good-looking guy, and he's, you know, you wouldn't know it, but I've he does kind picture. of... He's a very pretty guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was in, uh, yeah, Kyle Carver. So he was in a... He's actually on set in New York with, like, because of Renee Zellweger series or whatever, so he couldn't make it for this. But, um, so, but he had traits that his friends thought, and I had an autistic daughter, and I thought I was missing social cues, right? And I, I, I asked him, and he said, Got to tell you, you know, if you have a daughter with autism, 80% of the time it comes from the father, Bob. So definitely you are the autistic one in the family, yeah, you know. Yeah. So so that's I mean, that was just like a couple of weeks ago. I had always suspected it, but it was no diagnosis, but kind of inferred. Right? Yeah. Well, it changed your life, though, just knowing that it didn't for me. It, it, it kind of at first I felt weird about it and didn't want anybody to know about it. Uh, and then. It, there was a point of, does, do I have to change the way I look at my own identity? And I, I struggled with that. And then I said, you know what? Fuck it. I am who I am. I'm a, I'm a, I've always been this person. Don't think about it too much. But anytime yeah. somebody talks about autism, I'm reminded that, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm considered to be on that scale. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Uh I asked him, I turned around, he, he, you know, I asked him, I said how it felt, you know, and he, and he said, he had went to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist had said, at this point in your life, if it works for you, use it. If it doesn't just, it's just, it's just a condition. It's not really who you are. Right. I like that and, guy. Uh, yeah. I kind of agree <laughs> with that. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, um, this started you down this uh, idea of spirituality and all, and, and looking for answers about the afterlife. Has that led to and I, I'm assuming it has by looking at your website. And by the way, the website is afraid of nothing uh, It's scrolling across the bottom and the links in the description for people. I'm assuming that it has be, because of some of the episodes you've you've done and some of the stuff you've covered. Uh, ha, has it led you down um, different alleys uh, of, of different belief systems? 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So first was a documentary, right? And the documentary is, is really Afraid of Nothing. It's a bunch of different chapters. It's one is with like the shaman. One is on EVPs, which we had some electronic voice phenomena where you go to a room or a haunted place, you ask questions, and you may hear it when it's live, but usually after the fact, there's an imprint on there that you may not be aware of. And we had a lot of really good ones. Um, and then I, you know, I went to haunted houses and then there was a science angle to it and the, the researcher for uh, um, Ghost Adventures that did every episode. So I had talked to a bunch of different people. And the way that documentary wor worked was the last third of it, I took three people from that they'd seen earlier in interviews, and they kind of revealed some really strange life events that happened to them, their, their ghost experiences, you know. And, and one was a scientist who had this crazy thing happen to him. So that was my start looking at it. And when I was on working on the film, Doing a documentary, it was probably broken up into like five different shooting days, you know, where I went to do five different segments. And starting off, I couldn't get an EVP for the life of me, uh, nothing at all. But then partway during the movie in Salem, Massachusetts, uh, the director of my first film, his name is Rob Fitz. He had bought this shop called The Magic Parlor. It's very well known in Salem, Massachusetts. It's got a lot of curiosities and kind of mystic stuff in it. And he called me and said, you know... He he would have the uh, Talking Board Historical Society. They would bring a Ouija boards that no one wanted or said were cursed, and they would bring it to his store, and he would sell it. Now the Talking Board Historical Society, they've opened up a, a museum, a guy named Joe, John Kozik in Salem, and they actually keep those boards, and they travel with them. But this was a case um, where it was in Rob's shelf, and he said, you know, Salem, crazy people, but this psychic came in and said, there's seven demons in that board. There's seven demons. So I said, okay, I'll buy it. So I bought the board and my uh, wife at the time would not let me bring it to the house. So I was driving around with it in my car, in my trunk. And, um, I'll, you know, what happened was things started happening. I started, uh, I'll, just, I'll tell you what happened is I driving to work, I would drive to work and I would always listen to FM radio, but one day I had it on AM. Okay. And I was drove into a garage. One of those garages would go around, you know, five times circular and to go to the top. I, you know, at work, if you could walk like two miles or you could cheat, it'd park at the top of the garage. So I did that. And as I'm driving, for some reason, I had an AM station and this weird, garbly, almost satanic stuff was coming out. It was really weird every time I took an angle. And so, you know, I just thought it was weird. After a couple of days, I recorded it and I sent it to the, my guest on the show, a guy named Mike Markowitz, who was an EVP expert. And he found some really strong EVPs that we actually have in the film. So that was kind of my first uh, brush with uh, the paranormal where I started picking up stuff. And then, you know, after that, as I would go places and try to do EVPs, you talked about it could be opening a door by spending money and going down a wrong path. If you open the door to, to the paranormal, it can get almost too easy and can absorb you. I mean, I know people that have moved into haunted houses. They get sick. They get emotionally, you know, no. traumatized. Yeah. Things happen, right? So I... I <laughs> I got to the point where I could do EVPs. I could travel to places and I'd hear my name, not just Bob, but Robert Heskey. You know, I would hear my daughter's name if I asked a question. So I just stopped doing that. And then something else really where it happened, I can tell you now or later, but that's what I was like, all right, I'll, I'll just do a podcast, but I'm not going to go crazy. Like, doing a lot of ghost hunting no, tell me to... tell me now <laughs> you know? so, uh, okay so um toward the uh, the end of filming uh still had the uh, ouija board in my in my uh, car i was literally in a bed i was in bed one night and uh, ex-wife facing her and it was really weird i felt in the middle of the night i was wide awake it's almost like someone was ripping my rib cage open like outward like being punched in the stomach but outward 
And I literally felt something leap out of me. It was weird. And I had this weird thought. I was like, God, is that my soul? <laughs> what, what just left me, you know? And as I was looking at my wife facing her in bed, her eyes fluttered really quick like that, you know? Of course, I didn't tell her until much, much later. And then like, wow, that's just really weird. And then um, I just didn't know what to, to do with that. That was like my paranormal experience where I really felt I, I totally unexpected having something leap out of me. And I, I wondered if it was because driving around in the car, I was starting every day. I wanted to get away from the paranormal stuff. I was doing this very positive gratitude thing, thanking God and all this stuff every day. And some of the EVPs were F God and all this stuff. And you know, it was some really negative stuff. So that was kind of the weird type of thing. I then got rid of the, the board after that, gave it to a, a, you know, a witch. We actually cleansed it. You know, this part of the movie gave it to a witch and they didn't have any problems after like the first day. So but uh, once that stuff ha started happening where I could get EVPs really easy and then that happened, I was like, you know, I could go down this path or I'll just back off and do a podcast and <laughs> just talk to people rather than do a lot of ghost hunting. So is it fair to say you were a little bit afraid of something? I was afraid of that. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, Matt, I realized like I literally was battling with did my soul. I, I thought to my soul, what the? because it was something that left and. I've had people say, you know, when we go to bed at night, you know, our, our kind of consciousness goes out of our body. Maybe it was it. I'm, I don't know. It was weird. But it was it was something that definitely happened. I was definitely awake. Crazy feeling I've never had in my life. And it did kind of shake me a little bit. And like most people that have their first paranormal experience, they're like, nah, it's nothing. I'll just kind of move on and just pretend that didn't happen. So I, mm. I kind of did that for a while. Well, I'm going to tell you, I don't have any judgment about your experience. And I think this is the problem with, with, uh, and I'm wondering if, if you've experienced any of this kind of judgment where you where you felt like you couldn't share that story with people in your life because of judgment. But it seemed to me, uh, first of all, your statement about uh, can be very easily to go down that or whatever. I don't think you use the term rabbit hole, but it could be very easy to get once you once you open that door can be very easy to get really uh, absorbed into that world. I think that's uh, the rule more than the exception. I think almost everybody who does open that door at some point gets into it much deeper than they had ever anticipated. But then they, that part of life, your relationships in life change and, and the, the people around you start looking at you differently and start treating you like you're crazy or stupid for having these or or talking about this uh, very real experience that you had and felt and belittle it so have uh, the question is have, have you has it affected your life and your relationships and people around you or not well i didn't tell my ex-wife until after we were divorced i actually never even told her i think she's probably listened to the podcast because i've said it and I didn't have it in the film. I, it wasn't when in the documentary, you don't even see me. I'm kind of behind the camera and I let everybody kind of tell their own story in each segment. So that story wasn't in afraid of nothing. I kind of kept that to myself. It's as I started doing, I'm in my second year of the podcast going to episode 70. I started talking to people and then I would bring it up slowly. And then I would kind of just get different takes on it. So, and those guests don't act like I'm crazy, you know, and I, so I don't go out publicly and tell people at work that that happened right. but on the podcast. That's where I share it. Okay. Well, that's, that's kind of what I'm alluding to. You're a little bit shy about uh, talking to people you've known for years in your career. You're not going to just open up about that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, and uh, the reason is uh, you're pretty sure that judgment that I talked about will follow. Right. I mean, obviously that's, that's, yeah. that's what drives it. Well, uh, I, I got to tell you, if you don't mind real quickly, uh, yeah. I wouldn't tell my family, even though I had a mother, my mother who passed, 
she had a spiritual experience when she was young that she shared that my brothers and sisters are more open to. I don't know if they'd believe me. So I tend to keep that to myself, but yeah. Yeah. Um, a funny thing this week, I've been opening up on the morning show, coffee with the dog, 9am to 11am every day of the week. Uh, Opening up about my, some of the cult experiences I've had. And, and so we talk about how things can, how you get into this. And this is why I asked, ha, have it, has it opened the door to other things behind, other than the spiritual aspect of this stuff? Because I was in a, uh, I worked for a situation that was called the School of Healing. That was audio visual guy there to support a spiritual leader who channeled a guide from uh, from Atlantis who uh, gave uh, spiritual guidance uh, while in a trance every week. And then she uh, channeled an entity called the goddess, female god, like godhead energy, uh, and had uh, at the time 1,200 full-time students in a uh, situation that was set up like a university, four years of study with her. And these people, you know, went down that road and believed completely in spiritual healing or or hearing healing uh but every one of them uh and i got to know a lot of them quite well expanded those beliefs out so far that and i'm i'm not exaggerating when i say the easter bunny was a possibility uh the easter bunny I mean, a six foot tall bunny that comes and brings chocolate eggs to your house was real. Um, and, and, you know, anything and every possibility under the sun, anything out there was real or in some way at least possible real. And it's like you have to have some discretion on where you're going to draw the line. So the question I'm asking really, has it opened the door to any of those for you yet? any beliefs that you think are just white i can't even i can't even give that any thought it's just too far out there well you know after i had that experience i mean i did i i didn't have a situation where i entered darkness you know and i know some people my my show have they've gone down that path where they kind of had a shadow man visit them or they entered a cult or they started doing satanic rituals or things like that I just didn't go that far. I was, I've been pretty good in my life where I know if I'm going down a bad path on drugs or alcohol or whatever, I can stop it for the most part and then just, you know, pivot and maybe go back to dabble or whatever I want. So I, that hasn't happened. And I would say in terms of knowing and having a thought of what's out there, I have more faith that there is an afterlife, but man, all the guests I've had, Matt, I, I there are so many different flavors of paranormal and people that I've talked to. It's, it's, it's insane. There's no one recipe, right? And so right. I don't know which cocktail to drink yet. So I'm still I'm still dabbling with that. I'll go back and see who my favorite guests are and who I believe the most. But I'm still kind of – there are a lot of different ways it can go. But I do believe this. I do think that consciousness is in us and that it does remain and energy kind of remains and it, and it probably goes – I think of this life and what we perceive as kind of like one band on a radio station. You know, and that uh, we just kind of there's a lot of radio stations out there and it just broadens. You got a much broader spectrum that that happens. Interesting. And, yeah. And like, you know, reincarnation to me, it's like a needle dropping on a record player where wherever you put it, you know, there's past lives and forward. I just I've kind of thought that, you know, that there is no time. Everything's happening. It just depends on what you're perceiving at the time. So, um, yeah, I'm still forming my my beliefs. The more people I talk to. 
Well, I had Howard Bloom on the program about two years ago and uh, with relationship to time and, and all that kind of stuff. Howard Bloom is uh, one of the big thinkers, uh, Einsteinian level uh, physicist, who was also uh, had a career in rock and roll. He was a, a publicist for Michael Jackson in the 80s. And uh, a lot of, you know, all the big acts in the 80s, he was the publicist, the go-to guy for all the biggest stars from that era, classic rock era, and then into the 80s. Um but uh, on signing and thinker, and he has what he calls the bagel theory of everything. And so the universe or the um, the known universe is like a bagel to him. And time runs this way on top of it, but runs in reverse on the bottom mm. uh, on the bottom of it. So all that stuff, you know, it's 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 too big for me to think about it's beyond my pay grade. But the stuff about, um, you know, when it comes to stuff like reincarnation, I come to that with too much logical uh, baggage to take that seriously. Uh, I've had lots of reincarnation people on the program, or even on this program, going back to my radio days, but even on this program had lots of um, reincarnation people. And I come down to a math problem. How can, um, with 7 billion people, how can we all be reincarnated from the past? I mean, there had to have been 7 billion people on the planet before. I mean, where are these extra souls coming from? And the math problem becomes yeah. a problem for them. And nobody can give me an answer because it's, they're thinking with, I think, I think they're thinking with uh, desire more so than logic in a lot of it. And logic can't penetrate belief. Yeah, uh, well, I, I would throw an argument at that, Matt. I would say... That's true. Hard to believe if you limit it to Earth, you know, all the souls on this Earth. If you believe, but if you look at the universe and all the galaxies and all the planets and all the different beings out there and that once you pass, you do go many different places or even different, uh, different, different, you know, alternate universes, then the math kind of becomes more, you know, comprehensible. And then that's no, what I get I it. In. You can't throw logic at belief. And so, and I'm glad you came up with that because uh, all the people... <laughs> <laughs> well, the so-called experts failed at, at, at even coming up with your explanation for it. But uh, I appreciate that as a possibility. Absolutely. I mean, I, the the big, the most common thing with me is that I don't know. I don't know. I don't have any answers on this, which is why I have a problem with somebody telling me I'm right. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, have you heard of Lilydale in upstate New York? Yes. Okay, so it's a spiritualist community, right? And um, it's uh, so I was there over the summer. I've gone a couple times, and I did like actually three episodes on it. And you know, for the for the audience that doesn't know, it's kind of like a hamlet not too far from Niagara Falls or the Canadian border, and it's really like a psychic community. And then the thought is, it's on this energy vortex, but basically, it's like a town, a small town where all psychics live, right? And what was kind of interesting was when I went there, um, I was gonna like do a trying to find out about ghosts and things, but at Lilydale, because spiritualism is a belief that, you know, in, in, in life after death and that they, they can talk to the dead. But what's really weird about Lilydale is that there aren't a lot of ghosts there because what happens is people visit there and then spirits move on. There aren't a lot of ghosts that are stuck kind of that haven't gone into the light or whatever you want to call it. So in Lilydale, there are, there are some ghosts, but there aren't, there aren't as many as you would think because mostly it's about spiritualism and moving on and spiritual entities that are in an afterlife and can communicate with us, but don't reside here. Right. So, but when I interviewed three different people, reincarnation is they're split depending on who you talk to in Lilydale. Some people believe in reincarnation and others don't. So even in that belief that believes in the afterlife in that strong kind of philosophy, 
they're split 50-50 on reincarnation in terms of whether it exists or not, depending on who you talk to. Right. I have a, a guest who requested. I don't. He hasn't. Uh, we haven't confirmed the date yet, so I'm not sure he's actually going to come on the program. But he's, the proposal for the subject is uh, how Israel is proof of God. Question I have for you: Have you included traditional religion uh, people in your conversations about this kind of stuff and get, gotten their takes on what you're doing? Um, one of the guests I had was a guy who was a, uh, real, real hardcore Christian, you know, Catholic guy growing up. But then just like you said, he thought God was unforgiving and couldn't do anything right. And he kind of fell out of it. And then later on in life, he kind of would do astral traveling and stuff. It's going to sound, found, sound weird, but what, it's one of my more popular episodes where it's about multiple heavens, where he traveled, you know, to kind of the afterlife. And he found that, you know, there were multiple, just like in the United States or in the world, right? Different cities are different. Different places are different. People are different. In the afterlife, the thought was, depending on where your mind takes you is fine. But there are all different levels of, and, and really religion doesn't drive it. It's just there's different things. There's different flavors of Islam. There's different you know, versions of, of, of Catholic heavens and all that stuff. So interesting guy, interesting conversation. And, yeah, I was surprised. That, that headline, you know, afraid of multiple heavens was you know one of the top 10 downloads that i had okay now did you ask him if does that also mean there are multiple hells he wasn't a huge believer in hell and and this is weird a lot some people i talk to which i disagree um a lot of people don't believe in hell i do believe in good and evil and i do believe a lot of my guests talking about you know dark entities some guests say no no it's all positive and which it's all man-made so I, I am on the fence. One thing I am on the fence is there is definitely evil and there is definitely positive things and it's beyond man. It, it, it affects us. So, but oh, it's trips I of hell. I don't, I'm not quite sure if I believe in that, but I, I do believe depending on who you are and what your belief system and mindset is when you die, if that's what you believe you're going to go to, then that's what you'll go to, I think, or at least to start. I love that you, you, you brought up good and evil because it's something that I'm obsessed with this idea of good and evil. Um, first of all, I'm not sure if there is a hell. I mean, I think it's all part of, I think you're, you've touched on something that I kind of believe in, in that a lot of the hell is the hell you create in your own consciousness and your own, uh, being. Uh, and so that's my take on it. But again, I, what do I know? I'm just another human. Um, but the idea of the essence of good and evil and I'm talking on the human level here, not on the spiritual level, although they could be connected. They could be one and the same. I look at certain people, historical figures, who if we look at them, I'm going to use Hitler because that's the, the, the classic example. If we look at him through the lens of history and what we know about him, it's easy to say that person, that entity we know of as Adolf Hitler, was born evil. In, in other words, he was evil from birth. Now, is that a spiritual thing? Is that a personal thing? Does, does uh, evil behavior, uh, because I do believe that on some level, we are all capable of good and evil. I know I'm very long with these questions. That came that's, to that's cool. Are, yeah. are you t are, are, is it black or white? No. Uh, uh, <laughs> On some level, we are all capable of good and evil, but there are people that make it seem like evil is a all-encompassing spiritual thing that they are born with. Your take on any of that? Do you think that people can be are born evil? 
Um, I, I think you were right when you said we have good and evil in, in us. And I right. think, you know, and this is my take after talking to different people. I mean, I get different flavors, but I think, you know, I think Adolf Hitler wasn't evil as a baby. I think he was shaped. His belief system was shaped as he got older. It's like a dog. A dog can be, you know, it can be predetermined to be mean and bite. But if you, if you train it or treat it a certain way, it can be a, a, a tame animal, you know? So I think some humans have more, you know, if you're a sociopath, you know, I mean, if that's, that's innate, then you're going to be evil because you're not going to have any remorse no matter what you do to people. So I guess there, if you're like that trait of a sociopath and your DNA, yeah, you're, you could, definitely go to evil the rest of us that are kind of like on a scale of good and evil i think it's kind of more, uh it's our culture and how we're raised and things that affect us all right so and i don't know if you if you're uh but uh, follow me here if you will i don't know how, what your beliefs are about the possibility of time travel and it could be just a an out there want to be part of science that will never be achieved but in your your scenario there where he's not born evil you believe if we could travel in time back uh there is something we could watch out for that that might change uh adolf hitler and and make him a different person so that the catastrophes he he caused in the world and the calamity he caused in the world would not happen yeah, it's, it's it, you know, what I know about Adolf Hitler is he started off, he probably wasn't super respected as a young guy. He was not a very successful artist. And then he kind of had a cause, right? And there was a lot of discontent like going around now. And he picked up on a vibe that people, that the German people agreed with, like, and they wanted to blame somebody for their bad situation. And, and you know, and there were some scapegoats that they did. And he kind of took that. I mean, you see today people like a couple of years ago wouldn't act the way they are now, but then some cause or something, you know, ignites in them that they get through the media or that's projected to them and they buy into it and it, and they change who they are in midlife. So, I mean, I think it could be his upbringing or it could be just his environment. And maybe he was unsatisfied and unhappy with who he was. And then he found some dogma that he liked and he believed in strongly. And, he, and then he was able, he re redefined himself, you know, and just was able to get a huge following. His is an amazing story. I mean, what he did and how he evolved and then what he ended up with. It's just a, but in terms of just, I know you didn't ask this, but in terms of good and evil, if you ask why it exists, good and evil, some people will tell you, you need evil. It's like yin and yang. You need the kind of like dark side to help us balance ourselves. We can't be happy all the time or we're just going to be like, we won't know to appreciate happiness because it's just this euphoric feeling, right? So it's almost like not to not to forgive people like that, but you kind of need stuff like that to kind of give you some lessons and help you shape kind of who you are and your belief system. Right. Um, and here's a thought for you, Matt, if you don't mind. I, I have a, my older brother's an atheist, you know, and he's going through a horrible like medical thing right now. And, you know, I'd like to introduce him to some of the people that are kind of healers and stuff, but he would be closed minded. And what do you think about like the afterlife is again, what you're so if consciousness does exist in the afterlife, what is your thought is that, you know, where you go or what you experience in the afterlife is based on your belief that you develop here through your learning system. So if you're an atheist, maybe you just see darkness and there's nothing and you have to kind of evolve to something. Or if you do believe in something better, maybe you go there. Or uh, if you're on the fence, maybe you're, I don't know, maybe you're guided there. What's your thought about what you believe or what you've learned on earth, how that affects your experience in the afterlife? 
I don't really have a thought on on that. I try not to think about too, that too much, but I do tell you, I do have a lot of atheists in my life, more atheists than non-atheists in my life. Talk to them all the time. Um, and there are different degrees of atheism. Yeah. There are, there's atheism who uh, is hurt and wounded by the religious, some of the religious myths, the and, and can't let go of that um vision of god that religion paints of the old man in the sky and the way and particularly the way uh it's been portrayed as duality in that being as both uh omnipotent and and angry uh and vengeful but also all loving and insecure all at the same time so they are and they cling to that with anger and fear and and there are people and there are other people who are just atheists because um they just don't are, are afraid of uh examining deep issues across the board you can talk to them about anything and the minute the conversation starts to turn deep they get intimidated by it and so uh not believing in anything is an easy way out of have ever having to have those conversations what they experience i don't know i asked like a couple of weeks ago on thanksgiving i and every year i ask the same question on thanksgiving who do you give thanks to what are you giving thanks to if you're an atheist uh, you're thanking yourself. Uh, I mean, it's hot. And when we talk about the spirit of gratitude, I believe in in that as a powerful thing. But if you're only grateful for your own uh, contribution to your life, that's kind of, that I can't see how that can be a positive force in anything. That's kind of egomaniac. You know the word I'm trying to say. Yeah. Maniacal. E- egomaniacal. Yeah. yeah. Uh but so I don't know. To answer your question, I don't know what they what they're gonna experience. I can't imagine uh it's going to be a comforting thought. I had a friend, and I know this is a long way of answering your question, had a friend who I looked up to who was, in my view, speaking of your your podcast, absolutely afraid of nothing. When I was a teenager, I, I he became my best friend because I admired his fearlessness in any situation. I was at his deathbed almost 10 years ago now. And uh, I know he was not a believer, not a believer in anything. I mean, he was on my old radio show lots of time and used to mock people. And on his deathbed, he, he told his wife, I'm, I'm scared. And she said, what are you, what are you afraid of? He said, dying. And so yeah. I think a lot of people who have, have that as their core of, you know, I'm going to resist any discussion or any thought about uh, possibilities and all that kind of stuff. When they get to the end, uh, that, that fear is overwhelming. Uh, and that's my experience of it. So a very fearful end is what I would imagine, but who knows? I mean, I, I'm sure there are some people just, um, just fade into the night peacefully and, and never had any belief, but I've never seen them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like my brother, he's science, right? Very science based. He says, well, if the science shows me something, but then it's just someone telling you something, right? It's not a belief. So those are people that need to be told something and be given, shown something that's, that's, but science is always changing. So you never know it's real anyway. So it's a, uh, at some point it's a leap of faith a little bit. So, um, so when you, when you ask your brother, what he thinks happened to your mom, what does he say? She's just warm food now. She's just in the ground. Oh, I don't know if you buried her. Or... He's getting a little open-minded. He, um, he gave me a story. So, uh, so let me give you the quick background. My mom, if you don't mind, just a quick sure. minute background. So my mom, when I was my, my mom was named Carlotta Maria Suarez. So when she was married, 
her mom was uh, Carol Scott. And she worked in a factory and kind of had my mom, I think, out of, you know, out of wedlock. And back in those days, very much looked frowned upon. So when um, my mom's mother died, she was actually hit by a train early on in life. Uh, my mother was was brought to a place to be adopted. But on the funeral, they didn't even mention my mom in the obituary. My mom had a dream of seeing her mother, you know, uh, in her dream where she came to her. And my mom wanted to go to her and she said, no, no, not your time. And then she woke up and, you know, she was back to normal. And this was a little kid. This is like, you know, this is not when these type of stories have been shared. This is talking the 1950s. My mom was maybe like eight or so. Um, so it's weird that my brother was a little open to that. And, the, and what I'm getting to the story is he's been very sick lately. And he, uh, I think for Thanksgiving, he puts out my mom's favorite meal was spaghetti and meatballs. And he's in Arizona now. And he puts out a plate of spaghetti and meatballs for her. Just kind of a, a thankful thing, right? And apparently there in his garden, there were two types of flowers. I forget what he was that he saw the day after that weren't there, that he didn't notice them before. And he, and he was almost thinking, was that a sign? It was really weird. And they, nowhere else in his in his yard or anything with those flowers. And they had a, a meaning. I, I apologize, but I can't remember what it was, but he told me, but uh, he thought, wow, this made me really think a little bit, you know? So uh, even skeptics, once they get to have failing uh, health, tend to think, you know, maybe it would be nice if there was something like that. So he kind of took some comfort in that. Yeah. I'm just going to address the, the word you just used skeptic. Cause I think you used it in the wrong con context Okay, <laughs> <laughs> because I'm a skeptic, but that doesn't mean, uh, um, I'm a non-believer. I'm, I'm, I remain open and question everything as thoroughly as I can possibly question it, trying to understand better. So I think skepticism is a healthy thing. I think what you just described is cynicism. People who are uh, inclined to poo-poo everything and say nothing is out there. And when they have experiences, they, they can still get the the um, electromagnetic feeling of hair standing on on end and all that kind of stuff and, and make them wonder when they have experiences like this. And so I would say that line that you said, even skeptics, I would say, I would change that to even cynics because <laughs> just, I'm really, uh, I'm, I'm uh, a little fussy about those, the use of those words, because I do think people think skeptic, if you're going to be skeptic, oh, that's a ne negative thing. And, and you're not going, you're anti-belief and you're going to try to poo-poo somebody's belief. I think skepticism is the healthiest kind of uh, attitude to have. Not that um, I don't, you know, the, the, this idea that uh, I'm interested, I'm curious, I don't know. I'll never know, but I, I will remain open to the answers and want to ask as many questions in it. And if qu asking questions bothers somebody, then you know that they probably not uh, really uh, strong in their foundation of what they're presenting to you. <laughs> so I, I have a question, if you don't mind, have you ever in your life experienced something that could be paranormal or that you just kind of shook it off? Or, Are you or kidding me, man? I've been down this road for 45 years, thousands of that. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry to, to react. That's all right. No, give uh, it to me. That's all right. <laughs> just two weeks ago. Well, now it's more like a month ago. I woke up. I'm a songwriter. Woke up with a song in my head. And I'm like, whose song is this, man? It's haunting me. And I com completely fully formed. Um, and I, I used an app called Shazam to try to find out what song it was. I called some of my friends and started humming it and telling them the words. Who, who wrote this song? Where do I find this? I don't know what you're talking about. Never heard that before. Uh, looked it up and um, just didn't exist anywhere. And the song is uh, basically um, 
it, it's till I walk with you again. It's um, wow. it's uh, about show, about being uncertain and wanting a sign from somebody who has passed. Now I have a son who I, who passed five years ago, uh-huh. and um, I wrote the song with him in mind. Now I, I, it came to me that this is my song. <laughs> I wrote this song, so I put it together and did a, a little recording session, and. Uh, at the end of that recording session, I went out to get my mail, which is in my, where I live, I'm in a rural area. So I had to walk a, almost a thousand feet to across the street to my mailbox where, where they deliver mail. And as I'm pulling the mail out, I hear, watch your back pops. And that's what my son called me. I turned around and he was there on a bicycle and almost hit me, almost hit me, came this close to hitting me. And as he passed, he looked me directly in the face, smiled and gave me a wave and kept going now this is a song saying please show me a sign that you're still out there um and so there was that and but i came away with it and i recorded the song and put a video out there and and wrote a blog piece about it i came away with that wow emotional feeling that i wanted to go get in my van and track this kid down and grab him and give him a hug but then you know it's probably just a stranger who looks like him and i'm gonna end up in jail for assaulting this kid <laughs> <laughs> but i wrote a piece about uh, about the scientist in me. then you who, would walk alone right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right. the scientist in me rejects that as a fa- a grieving father who's asking uh who wants so badly to see his son and hear his son and all this stuff and so that experience was a, a torn experience. It, I loved the feeling it gave me. I loved, I loved the piece of the idea that he's out there and, and still responsive. But then the, the rational side of me takes over and says, uh, you know, grieving, grieving does that to people. It can, it can let your imagination run away with you. And if you want it that bad, you can, and I know this is true, uh, the, the, the part that imagination can play into. But to answer your question, thousands and thousands of experiences like that uh, in the last 45 years. <laughs> wow. And, and so none of them kind of. All of them it, have. It, All of them kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it's kind of like, you know, I forget who I interviewed on, on a show, but he's like, you know, I was in this place and I had these experience. But once I left that place, I started doubting, you know, wherever. Say it's a haunted house, for example. I don't know if that's the example, but you had all these kind of experiences that you couldn't explain. You were convinced that it was the paranormal. You leave that that location. And then a week later, you start doubting that it even happened, you know. So I think a lot of people kind of that happens. They just kind of don't. Uh, it's 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 not kind of rationalized for them totally yet, so they don't know what to do. Hey, I think I'd probably be the same way too. I I've had that one experience. I haven't seen a ghost. I've had EVPs, you know, a lot of that, but uh, I haven't had anything kind of hit me on the head uh, coming out of my stomach, but uh, not nothing to hit me on the head like that. So yeah, well, the the reason it becomes a more of a rational exercise in that kind of uh, position for me is because it's so close, and so I I've been down that road again when I started this. I noticed lots of people who lost loved ones. And if you lose a loved one, that changes you profoundly. The grief experience will change you profoundly. The desire to know they're out there, the the want uh, can really mess with your imagination. Now, I'll give you an an example of uh, how the rational stuff outweighs the belief stuff for me sometimes. I mentioned the cult I work for. When I first went into the, the first day on the job, I walked in and people looked at all believe it's all dressed in white 
people who are just believing in everything under the sun as far as paranormal spiritual beliefs. I walk in the sun and they uh, walk in the, the conference room. Oh, it's, it's a hotel ballroom, gigantic hotel ballroom filled with people dressed in white. They look at me and they think I'm a holy man. For what I I was wearing a nice suit, dressed in nice, but cleaned up and all this, and uh, they all looked at me like I must be there as a teacher, and I had to introduce myself. No, I'm just here working on the audio visual crew. But they just looked at me like, wow, you've got yeah. you know this guy's a holy man. He had to do, deliver us uh, the the tr- ultimate truth, and so that happened a lot. And then there was a situation where, in my radio show days, had so many psychics on and became a bit of a cynic. And I, I mentioned this in the opening. I've been, you know, believer, cynic, and everywhere in between. At this point, I was a complete cynic, and I was doing a lot of magic, card magic and close-up magic. And I was in a gas station, uh, car, car um, um, what do they call it? Car wash. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen you moment yet. A friend of mine was having his car washed, and I was in the waiting room, and the guy, he said, this guy does a show with psychics and all this stuff. And the guy said, you believe in that stuff? I said, not really. I said, here's what it is. Uh, and I said, and I started doing this reading for him off the cuff. I said, uh, you have somebody in your life who just passed. Let's call him Anthony. And Anthony is looking over you, and you've been asking him questions right now. And I'm just pulling this shit out of my ass. I'm just r- rambling for like three minutes. And at the end, I'm just expecting the guy to laugh and and he looked at me and said how the fuck did you know all that shit and he calls me he calls me marie get in here he said do it do it for her tell tell her what you just told me and apparently the guy just had a brother named anthony who died and he had been um going through this quest of uh, visiting his grave and crying on his grave and saying please tell me you're still out there and all this stuff how did I know that? I have no uh, fucking idea. I was just, I, I was lying. I was, I was doing comedy in my mind. And to him, it was a profound experience. So I, I take that as maybe he wanted that so bad that he was listening in between the words that I was saying and applying that. I don't know how that works. But how, how did that mess with your mind? Did you feel good about doing it for him or did you feel guilty that you misled him? Uh, at the time, I was full of ego. And I thought, yeah. I thought, my thought it took, took me back from the cynic thing and thought, for a moment, I started believing that maybe I had some special kind of gift or something mm. like that. Also, I was a student of Kresge, uh, the Kreskin, the amazing yep. Kreskin. And he had he said one of the teachings um, was that magic trickery can open the doors to subconscious and and uh, not just subconscious, but 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 this open the doors to not and you wouldn't use word spiritual communication but extra a uh, hypersensitive uh communication where we go beyond the, the five senses that we know and you can pick up things but doing that kind of magic can facilitate opening those channels with people because it it suspends your disbelief enough that you both become comfortable with talking about it and when that happens all kinds of miraculous effects can happen so i yeah. that's kind of what i attributed to that stuff. yeah the power of suggestion right it's very magic is all about having people kind of believe things are happening that really aren't and it's just very kind of suggestive and it's a matter of how much they are you know willing to 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 swallow that pill just like uh, hyp- hypnosis to a degree as well right right i was a hypnotist at the time too so I, wow uh, she got a lot of great skills man that's awesome yeah. good evening chad well uh, chad maybe you were a messenger without knowing it a five minute uh profit yeah i that thought 
entered my mind too. I don't know. I mean, I don't know anything about any of this shit. Uh, this is my problem. I, uh, because I'm too, too diplomatic with myself. I won't allow myself to buy into anything or, 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 uh, negate anything. So I, I, staying open-minded can be a real struggle sometimes <laughs> but it's hard i mean what's the truth even like in this world what's the truth everything's like you know what's the what's on the dollar bill are there all these hidden freemason meetings what's the truth in the media what's the truth that you see around you do people yeah. present their true side of you it's so hard to find the truth and so finding the truth the bigger truth is going to be even you know that much more hard to kind of find so i i agree it, it, it's a really difficult thing and i think um not to get too heavy here, but I think all that we're going through with this doubt in reality uh, in some way is driving more people to out there beliefs away from traditional faith and religion and all that kind of stuff. The more we see uh, that confuses us on the physical plane that we thought we knew that doesn't make sense anymore. And the more we just don't know what to, what to believe is the more we spin into alternative belief systems and can end up down you know some really dark paths sometimes well your whole life i mean your whole childhood right you have all these uh, you know positive symbols of santa claus and the easter bunny and all this stuff and you don't even really take death seriously until someone dies in your family and then you're exposed slowly to like these untruths and then you just are like or your and your dad cheats on your mom or whatever you know and this stuff happens you're like wait a minute this stuff isn't what i thought it was at all and then you it just kind of become makes you become more of a skeptic or even a cynic because the world that you're introducing is kind of just putting you know putting the wool over your eyes to believe all this good stuff as a to have a good childhood and then as you get older you realize some truths that are a little bit more unsettling so right um we're over the hour do you can you hang out just a little bit yeah sure, yeah, sure. all right i want to before we go too much further afraid of nothing podcast.com that the link is in the description when does it when do you uh publish it Boy, I wish I was as, uh, you know, disciplined as you. Um, <laughs> I have a full-time job. I wanted to do it like every other Wednesday. I, I do like two shows a month roughly, but I tend to, it's sporadic, you know, and that's probably, it's just, I, I tend to, but I tend to do two shows a month. It, it, you can find it on my website. There's, if you haven't, you know, been there before, there's plenty of content to keep you happy. There's, I'm working on my 69th episode now, uh, but it's on every main platform, Spotify, iTunes, every platform that Pandora, iHeartRadio, every platform that has podcasts, it's right. on. So, it, so to, to make it easy on yourself out there, just subscribe. And when, the, when minute uh, he publishes something new, you'll get an alert on either your phone or whatever do, device you listen to. So just subscribe to it. That's, yeah, that's easy. I love that. <laughs> I guess that's an easier way to convince people to subscribe than actually publishing every day um so uh interesting stuff now uh what were you saying right before i interrupted you with that because i, I wanted to comment on on what you were saying now oh my I, god i have such a bad memory matt yeah i know <laughs> i know like two minutes ago <laughs> i know but i wanted to, uh you, you brought up a point i wanted to touch on and you know i've seen your moment here now uh but this idea of um that you know skepticism versus um a i think what what we see what we're seeing is the some people are driven farther towards cynicism when uh when we're just faced with you know we don't know what's real anywhere everything seems so confusing to me so i'm just gonna go run back to the safety and uh comfort of that 
religious idea that I was brought up in and because it feels safer. It feels like um, I don't have to, I don't have to think too much. I think part of, of what we're facing here in, in this crisis of truth in reality, um, and I think humanity has gotten some kind of crisis of truth right now well, is this I idea that people don't want to think not that they become lazy but it become fearful of where think too much or thinking too much deep thinking can take them and so ideas like uh you know what you're presenting out there and what you're investigating uh become int intimidating to some people have you experienced any of that like the intimidation of it or um it's too deep for me it's above my pay grade i'm just gonna back off well, first, I want to talk about cynics, if you don't mind. To me, cynics are people that have been disappointed in life, so they just expect bad things to happen. I think skeptics <laughs> like you are a little more open-minded, so they're like, you know what? Uh, uh, I've seen too many things that are false, so uh, could, uh, give me some a little bit more proof. So I think that's kind of the difference there. Intimidation, I, I think what I do is I pretty much just invite every guest like you did to me tonight. You know, you're super respectful, and you're like, even if you, even if you disagree with something, you explain it, which is cool. Um, so when I have guests on, I just kind of let them tell their story unless they go too far off the rails and I keep my mind open. And so the, while the, uh, the documentary was more contained than what I was trying to get to the, uh, the podcast is like an anthology of all different guests, all different flavors, like all these different things that I explore. And then I kind of use it to build in my, my almost mind, like a catalog of what I believe. So the most intimidating guests have been like the most renowned, smartest ones. So on UFOs, there's a guy named Avi Loeb. He's a astrophysicist at Harvard. He, he sent me his book, and I he's been on twice, right? And so he went his his first book, Amuamua, you know, about uh, intellectual about interstellar. Most people thought it was a I don't know an asteroid. He thought it was remnants of intelligent life form, almost like shrapnel floating by the because of the characteristics it had, right? And he wrote a whole book about it, and the scientific community totally poo pooed him. So he said, you know what? These guys don't think, you know, they're so close-minded. I'm going to go out to mainstream and bring my story out there. I'm going to write a book and present it to there and get my story out there. And he had much greater success. And then when this whole UAP report came out in, in June, you know, where they did like this eight-page report based on the past couple years of, of, and they said basically, yes, most of these 128 or 130 things, we can only explain one of them. We're, we're, we're not ready to tell you what it is, but then he started doing something on that. So he, to me, was a little bit intimidating just because I knew I had to read his book and understand it and to engage him. And he was literally doing like in the course of a month, he was on every single TV show, every single podcast. And I had 45 minutes with him. So it's intimidating when I'm dealing with people that are very accomplished and I have to like get up to speed very quickly and have intelligent questions. Yeah. That to me has been the most intelligent, you know, you know, thing. But in terms of belief system, I just let them tell their story and I ask questions out of my curiosity and, and see where it goes. So that's I, a good I, place to be. That's a, yeah. that's a, and, you know, I'm just my opinion now. I'm not stating that as a fact, but I, I feel like that's a good place to be. Now, um, all the things that you have happened to you now, I've explained my, my journey with, you know, this kind of stuff started really, really early. I had my, um, my godfather died of a heart, who was watching me at the time, died of a heart attack on the floor oh, when I was three years old. Uh, watch, watch him die. This is a guy watching me as a little kid while my parents oh, are out. It's uh, awful. And so, yeah, I, I saw him die at, at three years old and uh, was taking on my first um, hit, uh, mafia hit, when I was five years old in the backseat of a, a car 
And so uh, I, the stuff, you know, I've had this, these experiences starting at, ver- at a very young age, and I can go list all, all of them, you know, but which we, we don't have enough There's a book. For. There's a book there, Matt. Have you ever thought of doing a oh, book? Oh, yeah, like- yeah. You know what? I've got two books in the works right now, and yeah. uh, I'm – I'm a procrastinator when it comes to the books, but yes, yeah. yeah, I've been told that so many times. But the question I have for you now, you are talking about my own experience and talking about your experiences, the idea of destiny and path, a predetermined uh, life and the experiences you have that um, might be there to put you on a path or, or drive you towards uh, where you are now in your thinking, in your consciousness, in your uh, spiritual development, if you want to use that word. Do you believe in, in destiny and fate and those kinds of ideas that the life that you are living, the, whether it's your, your mother, going back to your mother's life, was predetermined by something um, bigger than us? Um. I think so. I think we do kind of forge our own life path. I got to tell you, I talk to a lot of people who are more disciplined than me. They go get a guru. They, they go to India. They spend time out there for a couple of years or they're very disciplined in meditations. I don't do that. Any of that. I tend to be more, you know, I work during the day and at night I interview people for my podcast and I tend to just try to be more of a sponge at this point. More. I'm just kind of like an observer trying to take things in. Um, so, but I, I mean, other people I know that are so much more ahead of the path than me in terms of, starting to formulate a belief system and kind of going down one path that they think is the right path that they should put all their energy in. I'm just like, I just like the remote and I'm flicking every channel with my podcast, getting to see whoever kind of what gets my attention the most. And I think I'm kind of early on in my journey there. Oh, I think it, you definitely are. I mean, if uh, that's why we started by, I asked you how long you've been on this journey and, and it's only been a couple of years. I've been in it in, in a lifetime and, and I'm no closer to any answers. That doesn't mean I'm trying to discourage you from taking that path. You have to take the path that you feel is right for your life right now. And I, I wish you a lot of success in trying to find answers. I can tell you for me, it's just been uh, really an exhausting and sometimes uh, spiritually draining uh, exercise because I'll tell you, I had a psychic on this program. He was on three times. And after he was on twice, he felt like we had some kind of connection or something. He started writing me letters uh, and he wrote me a letter that said, Matt, uh, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm concerned about your health. I feel like you probably started some um, new medical regimen or, or dietary regimen that is going to make you sick. It's not good for you, and uh, you should you should stop and just you know you're going to live a long life if you just get off of that stuff. Now, unbeknownst to him at the time, I had a guest on who sent me some vitamin pills. He was a, a guy who was, uh, and they were making me sick. They were definitely making me sick. So I said, you know what? I don't know what they're what to make of this. You might possibly have uh, been onto something. You might possibly have saved my life. And he used that as a testimonial for me endorsing him. And I, I tried to say to him, it's not an endorsement. I said, maybe you might be. <laughs> but so uh, time goes on now. I have a couple of different psychics on who were more extreme than this guy. Now, this guy had been on the History Channel and had uh, done a, a documentary where he was uh, finding, uh, a- communicating with Abraham Lincoln on the night that he was shot and all this kind of yeah. stuff. So he was out there, not that, he, not not a mild guy who's just dab- dabbling in psychic stuff. This guy's a 
you know, real hardcore. But the people I had on after him, one was um, a lady who had claimed that she was abducted by aliens in her hotel room with her husband watching, and the uh, aliens um, did brain surgery on her and made her a conduit for uh, um of expanding the awakening knowledge to the, the people of earth about what's coming and all this stuff. And he was really opposed to her. And then the following night I had a guy on who talks to a uh, spirit guide regularly. He's a history teacher in, in school, a military vet, uh, you know, very grounded uh, scientific guy, but also talks to a specific Amzar, I believe was the, was the spirit guide that he talks to often. And this guy got pissed off by that. And he started writing me letters. These people are all frauds. They're all phonies and all this yeah. kind of stuff and got really angry about it. So it occurred to me, like, is this competition for the almighty dollar? What is, what is at the core of this um, anger at other people who have a different take on the same message that you're kind of giving. And he said, awakening is all bullshit. Anybody who tells you humanity is coming to age of Aquarius shit. I'm sick of it. These people give me it all, give the whole idea of uh, psychic stuff, a bad name. And he was angry. And we, we ended our relationship with a big fuck you get off my show Uh, (laughs) because, because he was telling me, I have to believe him. I have to, I have to believe in what he's telling me. But I also, at the same time, have to have a closed mind to what anybody else is telling me. And I was like, where do you, where do you get the right to tell me what I must believe yeah. and what I must poo-poo? So that's where I am on, on my journey with all this stuff. And, uh, you know, that's a, that can weigh you out when you're getting a, put, a, put in a place where people are trying to say, no, you have to believe in me. Don't believe in them and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. that's a big well, turn off to me. That's yeah. That happened to me recently. You've done a lot more shows than I have. I've done, you know, I had someone, I got an email from a guy. He was very nice about it. He comment like through my website and just said, Hey, usually you seem to have a lot of character, but this person you had on seemed like a real shill that this person was trying to just, you know, get people to go to her and charge them 200 bucks an hour. And I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You know, I didn't really feel like she was talking down to me or I just I try to be open minded to it. But in the back of my my mind, I'm thinking, well, if you liked the 68 shows before that, why don't you write to me about those instead of that one? And so and just click off if you don't like it. Yeah, you you really can't. I mean, my guess, like, I don't really know if I'm going to totally agree with them when I have them on the show and they're all different. And it's just kind of a unique, different experience. It doesn't mean that I believe everyone I have on. It's just I'm interviewing them and giving them kind of a platform to share their beliefs. You know, it's a soapbox. So exactly. I would imagine you've had a lot more than I have. But yeah, that one I was like, I was like, nice guy. I appreciate it. he was very polite and it was just done through email. Good guy. But I was thinking, I, I you know, not every show, not every person is going to be for everyone. And um, you know, people take in people differently. They perceive them differently. So yeah, but your listenership does uh, at some point will kind of judge you by uh as why are you giving credence or why are you even open-minded to this now yeah again when i opened the show i talked about you're right i have had a lot you know back in the radio days i probably had uh about uh, no exaggeration 1500 uh people with all all these kind of interviews with people i had a guy who claimed to be from another planet i had a guy who claimed to be on the philadelphia experiment the eldridge boat when it disappeared and came back embedded uh you know embedded in the ship uh another guy came back um as a soul split and he he brought his his soul split guy with him uh guy named ed 
Al Bailick or Ed Bailick was the was the original yeah, guy. Yeah, Bailick or B E I L E. Yeah, he claimed to be on the Eldridge, and he was a salt split with Duncan Cameron. Duncan Cameron uh, also came on the show because uh, I said, you know, I, if this guy alive, I want to. And he brought him back next time. And Duncan Cameron told me that he had gone to Mars and mel- met jesus and elvis on mars uh so the point i'm making here is and people got mad at me for not not calling him an idiot not saying you know what this is too far out there well who does who the hell you think you're fooling with this crazy shit um so you know i had a lot of those people on but people will get mad at you for just letting them speak i was like letting if you if you really think they're dangerous or what they're putting out there is just total bullshit the best thing you could possibly do is just let them speak because they yeah. will they will expose themselves at that so how am i doing the world a disservice by that but uh it will happen to you people expect you to be the cop uh, yeah i i will tell you i recently i've had a couple like i had a catholic priest that was on a roman catholic priest who kind of interesting guest you're talking about he saw stuck souls in his sleep he would say when he'd go to bed for the longest time he'd say some prayer called a compliment or whatever where it's like hey i don't need my consciousness i give it to you and give it back to me when i wake up and lo and behold one night he had this vivid dream and he saw someone that was kind of, he realized was kind of a stuck soul. And he basically, when I mean stuck soul, I mean people that say you're in an accident, a car accident or a violent attack, and you're dead, but you don't quite even accept or, pro- or acknowledge or quite understand it. And you're kind of stuck in this corridor between the afterlife and earth because you're kind of still there, still figuring things out. So these are the type of people that he started he's had like up to 250 now he's written a bunch of books and uh so he would see stuck souls in his sleep it was a priest and he would you know take down a note go have go meet with uh people like a prayer person and they would kind of at first it took a couple sessions to get rid and pass them over but then they got where it's almost like clinical where they could do two at a sitting you know they do you do a, a person that was very open-minded do a prayer group and you could say well that's crazy man it that's that sounds totally nuts but one of his biggest ardent supporters is jack canfield the guy who wrote chicken soup for the soul you know and then you and he's very believable when you talk to him you know and I think one psychic would be interesting if you get on. His name is William Stillman. I think I mentioned him. Did yeah, you uh, yeah. have you heard of yeah, him? Or I know, him? I know of him. Yes. Yeah, he's interested on both because in the, the spiritual side, but also the autistic side. Is he was a really good guy to talk to. Um, he lives like an hour from Gettysburg, and, and he's not a Gettysburg buff, but once he does videos sometimes where he'll go and he'll walk with a historian and he'll pick up stuff, and the historian will say, "Yeah, that's true or not." So he was a very interesting interesting guest that i had on recently i, I think it'd do well because like you said the autism thing i mean wow matt would do good with him on his show so just a thought yeah no uh, and the, the stuff about gettysburg i mean i've been through um those that area uh in the dead that's, of that's an amazing historic oh yeah both you know i i went in the summer there was a paracon which i was going to go I, I brought my two girls with me for a vacation i'm divorced so i had them for that week they hate haunted stuff. They wouldn't go on a ghost walk. They wouldn't. I was going to go to the Paracon the last day, but there was some hurricane or some storm going in, so we had to like just leave. But uh, yeah, you're right. It's haunted, and it's just. But it's an amazing type of vibe at that place. It's really well, a cool. Place to your to point be. about about you know even hardcore cynics. I've been with hardcore cynics who have been in that area, Gettysburg, and have felt again the energy uh, and and undeniable hair standing on the back of your neck type of uh um experience and can't explain that and so 
that I'm not sure what the chemical reaction that causes that is, but the the feeling in that area is undeniable to people even who uh, who come at it with a very hardcore cynical uh, attitude. So yeah, the yeah. intense trauma that happened over three days at that place, right? And it's uh, what always blows my mind about Gettysburg historically is that only one civilian was killed. Like you, you have these, you know, from the <laughs> north and the south fighting on the battlefield. They kept it on the battlefield, and only one civilian, I think, recorded was killed there. You know, and so yeah. that kind of try see if that happens nowadays right civilians no. would be used to shields and all that stuff so it was... yeah no um no i don't think that's ever happened in any uh any war in history where civilians were kind of left out of it <laughs> yeah it's just you know uh, it's, it's uh, civilians are like hey, clean up this mess that was basically it but really no but only one woman died is in terms of what i was told when i was there so right uh, so when you're doing these things now, uh, and I'm kind of, we have to kind of wrap it up here because the audience won't 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 just sit here with us all night. But <laughs> when you, when you're doing this, are you doing it remote like we're doing it now, or do you have a studio and the people actually come in to your studio? It's remote usually. Sometimes I will. I live in uh, uh, Westminster, Massachusetts. There's one of the most haunted houses in the nation, like one mile down the road. So I when I our the Conjuring House was not far away, and there's another haunted house. So sometimes I will go directly there, you know, with a microphone set up or when i went to lilydale i you know i recorded there but usually i record like you're doing here uh and it's audio only it's on right. a uh you know on over the internet have you had chris sumner on no uh ghost hunter uh and you talk about uh haunted houses and stuff she does a lot of stuff a lot of evps a lot of all that kind of stuff um and um I've had her on a couple of times very impressed with the, the wow. work she's doing in cool. the research and she comes at it from a very scientific uh perspective like she she goes there to uh with the intent of proving that you know this is nothing yeah but but she's a believer she's a, a believer because of her work so she comes at it with the intent of you know being a scientist and, and disproving it when she finds she can't uh poo poo anything and find a realistic earthly explanation for things uh, then she highlights those. And, and so it's a, a interesting. And I think that's a good, healthy way to approach things because you're not going in wanting to prove that ghosts live here or ghosts exist here. You're going into wanting to prove that they don't. And when you can't, then it, it kind of becomes uh, this is definitely food for thought here and some things that, you know, she's heard people actually, voices actually talk to her, like you mentioned before, yeah. uh, people answering her back and get got it on tape, clearly. Wow. So good stuff. So I will I will send her contact to you if you're interested. Yeah, I love uh, it. Can yeah. I give you one more contact before we go? That I think sure. you would do. What, uh, sure. There's a guy I just interviewed. His name is Robert Sullivan the Fourth. He does this book series called Cinema Symbolism. So, for example, he, he watches a movie, and there's all he was a Freemason. So all this symbolism that you don't see, but until you watch it a, a million times. Oh man, I want to get him on. Yeah, there was this whole <laughs> stuff on nine one one, Matt, where all this stuff was happening before nine one one happened. I know. And I know. So I've, I've investigated that myself, but I would love to hear from somebody who's deeper into it than i am and, and great guy i just interviewed him robert uh, sullivan the fourth so yeah just i'll send you his contact information but he, he's very responsive even if you go to his website he's great great guest to have very interesting get, guy 
Good for you. It's been a pleasure to get to know you and and, and uh, learn about what you do. Uh, you know, don't be a stranger. Please stop by uh, periodically and, and give me some updates on uh, on how things are going for you and you, and how your beliefs and uh, whatever your knowledge evolves over over time. Please do uh, check back with me periodically. It's been uh, I'd love to, Matt. It was a great time with you. I really appreciate it. Nice to meet you. Same, same here. Uh, AfraidOfNothingPodcast.com, folks. Check it out. There's a, a trailer on there. How long is the trailer? The trial is like uh, 90, 90 seconds. And the, the documentary, uh, is there a link to it on your site? Yeah, it's on, it's, on, yeah, it's on Amazon Prime. If, you, if people have Amazon Prime or it's on, if you Google, if you go to Amazon Prime, just Google Afraid of Nothing documentary or even on uh, Vimeo On Demand, you could see it there. If you Google Afraid of Nothing Vimeo On Demand, that's the easiest way to find it. But yeah, there's a link on the website as well. Very cool, Bob. Thank, thanks for coming by again. It's been a pleasure to meet you, and uh, I sincerely hope you will come back and visit us. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you so much, Matt. Right. appreciate it. Until then, uh, be well, and bye for now. You too. Bob Heskey, folks, uh, Afraid of Nothing podcast. I hope that stimulated your um, intellectual side about that and you gave some thought to these things and, uh, and piqued, your, piqued your interest a little bit. Check out his podcast. Again, best way. This is, I don't know why I never thought of this before, is don't tell people when you when your uh, publish date is so they have to subscribe to get to know when you when you put something out there. I should have thought of that years ago. So I, I'm going to do that from now on. I can't tell you we'll be uh, coffee with the dog will be 9 a.m. Uh, to 11 a.m. Eastern tomorrow. It might be probably will be but you should subscribe just in case <laughs> great stuff should have thought of that years ago especially with uh the mind dog tv podcast i don't have a, a mind dog tv podcast for you tomorrow because i'll be out doing two gigs tomorrow i'll be playing uh a nursing home tomorrow i didn't get a chance to tell bob about my nursing home experience but i think would have given him some goosebumps uh but um and then tomorrow night be playing a gig out with the band uh actually acoustic duo me and mikey at garden grill in Spittown, new york so i uh, won't be having a show for you tomorrow evening either so i'll be back with you monday with your interview stuff but mornings tomorrow morning 9 a.m uh 9 a.m eastern coffee with the dog i'll be here so join me then till then i'm matt apple from the mind dog tv podcast have a great rest of your night bye for now
listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.